this story has been buzzing around in my spirit. I'm not sure if I heard it from somebody mentioning it or, or what it was, but it's been buzzing around all week. This is not where I intended to go here today. But I remember the words of Brother Keith when Brother Keith would be preaching and he would say, he, he relayed this story. If you've ever heard him tell this, it's funny. He, uh, he said, um, he says, well, this isn't my message, but, and he would go off and he would tell whatever it is that came up with him. And one time the Lord spoke to him and says, Keith, if I said it's your message, it's your message. And he said, yes, sir. <laughs> so he never said that anymore. And um, I, I actually had, a, in this area of assumptions, I had another area I was going to go into this week. But uh, this one kept coming up. And as I was doing it, this is what I do. You have this battle that goes on between your head and your spirit. Do you ever have that going on? In my head, I'm saying, we've taught this recently. I know we have. I don't want to go after something that we already taught this recently. I want to go after something, you know, it's at least a couple of years old, it, uh, just to keep re- renewing all these things. So I, uh, so I had a backup. <laughs> but I came here, everything's just, I'm buzzing around about this story, buzzing around about this story. So I came in this morning and I looked it up. And uh, sure enough, it's been three years, four years, three, four years since the last time we taught on this story. I said, I would not have thought it was that long. But apparently it has been. But just to review here a little bit, in Romans chapter 14, verse 23, as we started on this part with assumption, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith, but whatever is not from faith is sin. If you do something that is not in faith, it is sin according to the word of God. You've assumed something. It may be right to do, but if you don't know it from the word of God and you do it, then you did it outside of the realm of faith. And so you've gotten into the area of assumptions. We gave you a definition of an assumption. A conclusion reached with incomplete information and an unwillingness to ask questions to fill up the information lacking. This is all in the outline last week. Well, I don't know if it's in the outline, but well, that part was. But you can get it, um, the rest of this on last week's message. Just going to review a few of it. A conclusion reached with incomplete information and an unwillingness to ask questions to fill up the information lacking. In the absence of complete information, people fill in the blanks themselves with their own interpretation of the facts, events, or with information garnered from ignorant and uninformed. They may draw from past experiences that seem to them to be similar. Now, armed with all these new dots, you make connections out of them, that are not really there. Add to this, emotions come into play. A lot of times we are pulling on old experiences, so old emotions get involved. We got buttons that are being pushed. We get into the part of being completely irrational. And you just try and talk to somebody and help them get out of that. Last week we looked at four assumptions that were made in the story of Mark chapter 3. First off, they said that Jesus, speaking of Jesus, he is out of his mind. Second, by the ruler of the demons, he cast out demons. Third, he has Beelzebub, he has an unclean spirit. And fourth, you, Jesus, need to come out here so we can set you straight. And we finished it off with seven reasons to stay away from assumptions. All that you can get back if you go up there. It's all online. You can listen to that. But Mark chapter 4, let's go over to the next chapter here today. In verse 35, Mark's... Uh, Rendition, information on this is my favorite of all the ones that are there, but I do like some of the other um, things that Matthew and Luke bring out on this. But in verse 35, on the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. Now, we've made a declaration. Let us go to the other side. Jesus said it. He stated his intentions. Let us go to the other side. Have you ever made a declaration about yourself, about your job, about your family, about your finances, whatever it might be. You made a declaration about it 
And when you made that declaration, it looks like smooth sailing. There's no obstacles in the way. You can see yourself getting there. You're ready. And you set out. But then, verse 37, and a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. You started out on this great journey. Let us go to the other side. God has a job for us to do. And you're going. Your job is to get Jesus there. Jesus goes and takes a nap. Here you go. While he's sleeping, wind, great wind, blowing, stirring up the waves, stirring up the waves so that they are beating into the boat. We're not just knocking the boat around, we're coming into the boat so that the boat is already filling. Now, if you've got water coming into the boat, you've got a couple of choices here. You can deny the presence of the water. There is no water in my boat. Now, that probably won't end very well. If you've got water in the boat, you probably ought to do something with it. So you've got you to deal with the water. You can't just ignore it. Water is coming into the boat. We're not just talking that the, you know, the, the deck is a little wet. We're talking about waves that are coming onto the boat, crashing onto the boat and filling up the boat with water. Now, when you left, it was clear. It was looking good. In Matthew 8, Verse 24, it says, And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. Now get that picture. Here's the boat. However big the boat is, the boat is big enough for, for the 12 disciples, Jesus, and whatever else they had. That's a good-sized boat. It may have been bigger than their knees, but it was not smaller. So this boat is going along, and these waves are crashing Onto the boat. That means they are taller than the boat. And they're crashing onto the boat. So that it kind of disappears. And then re-emerges. But all that water got into the boat. (laughs) And suddenly. It happened all of a sudden. A great tempest arose on the sea. So that the boat was covered with the waves. Now let me read for you Luke chapter 8. But as they sailed, he fell asleep and a windstorm came down on the lake. And they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. Now this word here, filling with water, this was a really a unique word. I went to three different sources and three different sources gave me three different words. One of them was completely different. The other two were similar. I'm not sure where the one got their, their source from because I, I looked it up in the Greek text and I didn't see that one. So I'm going with the ones that I saw. But this word here, sumplerao, it means, this is what the word means. I'm reading you the entire definition. To implenish completely. To swamp such as a boat, to accomplish or to be completely full. Fill up. Weiss puts this note on it. So that it was now full. So the picture we have here from Luke is that the water 
arose over the boat, crashing down onto the boat, and so much water came from those waves that it filled up the boat. Jesus is sleeping. You got to be pretty exhausted to be sleeping through that. Now, if you take a boat and fill it with water, what happens to the boat? It goes down. And that's why he says here that they were in great jeopardy. It was not going well. Williams translates this verse this way. Now, as they were sailing along, he fell off to sleep. But a furious squall of wind rushed down upon the lake and they were filling up and were in impending peril. Now, if you're a fisherman, how do you deal with water in a boat? Get it out. Which means somewhere on the boat, they have buckets or something, some apparatus to get the water out of the boat. These are things you just bring along with you. This is part of the, the, the boat. Part of our boats that we have now, you know, there are pumps that are on the boat to pump the water out of the boat because waters can, uh, boats can take on water. And so you have pumps that pump it back out. Remember when the Titanic went down? They had pumps even on the Titanic to pump the water back out. But of course the uh, rip was too big and then once the power started going then the pumps weren't able to pump and um, they, had, they had trouble. We all know about that. But you have pumps now, but back then they didn't have pumps. So they probably had buckets on board and they're probably working hard to get the buckets of water out of the, out of the boat. All the while, while waves are crashing upon them. Jesus is sleeping. Now here's some assumptions they probably made. I didn't put them in your outline. I gave you space if you want to write them down. We've been through this before. We can handle it. Right? How do the fishermen handle it? You get the water out of the boat. You navigate through the waves so that they don't crash on you as, as much. Whatever it is that you do as a fisherman, you do something in the natural. We've been through this before. We can handle it. How many have ever seen something like that in your life? I've been through this before. I can handle this. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't something that you could handle the way that you had been. That's an assumption that they made. There's another one. This is just a normal storm. These storms kind of come up on these waters. We've seen them come up before. This is just a normal storm. And so they just go at it in the beginning just like a normal storm. All we have to do is get the water out. But their faith is in their own abilities and their own knowledge. How they can do this. That's where their faith is. I know what we need to do. Not everybody on board was a fisherman. But you don't need everybody on board to be a fisherman. You just need some of them so they can tell the other people, Matthew, you're not a fisherman, but take this bucket and do this with it. And he can go out there and he can do that. But I got out of hand. And the braves, the, the waves were bringing more water into the boat than their abilities could handle. And they couldn't get it out. They could not get all the water out. So, they decided to go a different direction. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Well, when they get to the point where they're going to wake Jesus up, we've told you about this word before, that they didn't just come and say, hey, Jesus. Hey, Jesus. No, they came in very suddenly. Picture, if you would, if you were young, and you overslept your alarm, and the bus is coming in five minutes. How does mom come into the room to wake you up? 
Hello? Hello? You, you really need to get up. Uh-uh. We, we're coming in forcefully. We're coming in with something. You are going to get out of this bed now. So we are going to... This is what they're doing. Now, uh, magnify that by about 10. Because we're not looking at being late for a bus. We're looking at going down to the bottom of the sea. And they come in. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now see, it takes a... We've, we've talked about this before. I know you're remembering these things. But when you come into Jesus and say, do you not care that we are perishing? Why not just come in and say, Jesus, can you help? But they come in, Jesus, don't you care that we are perishing? That means while they're up there bailing out the water and doing whatever it is that they're doing in the natural, the battle, this storm, their thoughts are coming to them. How come we're all working and Jesus is taking a nap? Doesn't he care? He's the one who put us on this assignment. Let us go to the other side, he said. They're probably talking about it to themselves. Jesus says, let us go to the other side. What's he doing? He's sleeping. Here we are, bailing out the water, battling the waves, navigating the boat. What's he doing? He's resting because he's tired. And so they're, they're going back and forth and they're thinking things. He must not care. We must not mean anything to him. Now, we know that is not true. But this is what's going through them. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he rose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now, remember, we started this with calm seas. We then had a great tempest. And then we end with a great calm that is on there. But this is what it says Jesus did. He arose. Not doing this lying down. Got up. He rebuked the wind. And said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now I'm sure you remember this. The sea was not their problem. But it's what they were dealing with. Because it was the sea that was coming into the boat. Not the wind. The sea was what was taking the boat down. They were dealing with the sea. They were dealing with the water. Jesus gets up, does not deal with the water. The water is the immediate problem, isn't it? To them. But Jesus gets up. He arose from where he was. And he goes over and he rebukes the wind. There is nothing the disciples are doing that's dealing with the wind. Everything they're dealing is to deal with the water. The water that's coming into the boat. And they're getting tired of fighting the water and they're losing. And Jesus fights it in another way. He fought the wind. Because Jesus saw this was not a normal storm. This is a storm that had spiritual backing. The purpose of this storm was to take this boat down because Satan did not want this boat to arrive at his destination. That wasn't too long ago. We went, to the, we went over the story of the destination. The man in the tombs. How Jesus went in there, took care of this case of demon possession that no one could touch. Scared them all so much, they asked Jesus to leave. He left the man behind, said, you stay behind, tell people what's going on. And he did. The devil didn't want that. I don't want Jesus going over. That's my man over there with all them demons in him. We're making a name for ourselves. We're getting people afraid. We don't need Jesus over there. We got to take that boat down. That boat cannot reach its destination. 
Jesus saw it for what it was. He rebuked the wind because it is the wind that stirred up the waters. The waters were just fine until that wind came down. And that's what they all talked about. The wind came down from the mountains. And that's how this sea is set up, that this wind could fall down on the mountains and hit that, that sea and stir it up. They've seen it before. They've been on these waters before. This is nothing new to them. But boy, this was a whole lot stronger than anything they had seen. And Jesus rose up and he rebuked the wind. He rebuked it. That word there for rebuke is used a number of times in Scripture. When he would talk to demon spirits and say to them to not make him known, such as Matthew 12 and 16, it uses this word. When he rebuked Peter, he uses, well, I'm sorry, when Peter rebuked him for the way Jesus was teaching, it uses this word. When the little children were brought to him, it uses this word when it says they rebuked the children. Later on, it's in Matthew 20, it said the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But all the more they said, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. The story of blind Bartimaeus, one, that particular one has a, has a buddy with him. They rebuked him. That's what that word is talking about. He said he rebuked. Doesn't mean, doesn't sound like it's a word he's shouting and making a huge ruckus. He just got out there just like he would do with little kids. Hey, little kids, don't do this. When, when Peter pulled Jesus aside, Peter's not trying to fire and brimstone Jesus. Jesus, you shouldn't teach like this. It's, it's a calm or gentle rebuke. And Jesus just gets up there and says, wind, calm down. See, he didn't go up there and say, I rebuke you, wind. What's that going to do? He got up there and he says, wind, you will not be in this tempest. And that wind calmed down. After the wind, he calmed the wind down. Then he spoke to the sea. There's no sense dealing with the sea till you deal with the wind. So he dealt with the wind. Now the, the waves are still all churned up from the wind. And so after he deals with the wind, he then turns to the sea and he said, peace, be still. Three words. You don't get victory in the name of Jesus for your many words. You get victory because of your faith. So he says, peace, be still. So three things we've done so far. First, he arose. Secondly, he rebuked the wind. And then said, peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. So they made an assumption here. Jesus doesn't care. There's nothing indicated that Jesus didn't care. But they made that assumption. They didn't ask questions. They came to a conclusion based on ignorance. Well, since Jesus isn't up, he must not care. They thought of a different outcome, entertained a different outcome than what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? Let us go to the other side. What outcome are they now considering? Let us go to the bottom of the sea. That's not what Jesus said. But you see, these other things have come in to make them think something different. And they have embraced it. Master, don't you care that we are perishing? We are going to die here. We're not getting to the other side. We're getting to the bottom. See how they accepted that? They accepted a different outcome than what Jesus declared. How easy is it for us when we get caught in the midst of a storm 
to begin to envision a different outcome than the one that Jesus said. Because all this stuff begins to come against us. All this stuff begins to come our way. We begin to think about all these things. And he wants us to envision a different outcome than what Jesus said. Now, there's three different ways they approached him in these stories. First, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 25, when they came to him to wake him up, they said, Lord, this means some supreme control owner master. They came to him, you are the Lord. Now, remember, you got 12 guys, at least, well, probably at least 13 guys coming because Luke's in there and Luke's not one of the 12. But you got these guys in there and they're coming. And so they probably all called them by a different name, which is why you probably have three right here. Some of them came in when they stirred up Jesus because if you got 13 people on an emergency situation running down the boat to get to Jesus, it's not like I'll be the spokesman. All the rest of you all just shut up. I'll talk. That's not what's happening. They're all going down there and they're all saying, Jesus! Somebody said, Lord, supreme controller. Some people want to look at God. Whatever's going on in the storm, you are the supreme supreme controller. You are the one who has everything in your hands. If it's going to happen, it's because you wanted it to. Those are things God is in control. If you're going to have this viewpoint of God... Well, you are the supreme controller. Whatever it is that's going on down in here, you have got it under control. Well, Jesus said, let us go to the other side. So if, if he's the supreme controller, what, where are we going to go? We're going to the other side. But something else has come up. And Jesus dealt with it. He arose, rebuked, spoke, Put it back in the right, right direction. But some people, they look at storms that come in their life. Well, God must have allowed it to teach me a lesson. God must have allowed it to, to bring something about. Must have missed God over here. Whatever it might be. Because He's the Lord. He's the supreme controller. Mark, it's, they come to Him. Teacher. Because if any challenging situation comes into your life, it is obviously because God needs to teach you a lesson. You've obviously gotten too big for your britches. And you need to be set straight. He's here to teach you. He's the teacher. How many of you know people that anytime something bad's going on in their life, well, God's here to teach me something. I don't know what I'm supposed to learn. Well, if you don't know what you're supposed to learn, how are you supposed to, how are you supposed to get there? Can you imagine showing up in school for algebra class, not sure about what you're going to learn. What are you supposed to learn in algebra class? Algebra, you're not here to learn English. You're here to learn algebra. If God is going to teach you a lesson through something, then you ought to know what the lesson is so that you can learn it. Here's the third one in Luke. Master, overseer, superintendent, administrator. God, I have no idea what you're doing, but I just want to let you know I love you. And even if you kill me, I'm okay with it. You're the master. Just want to let you know that I love you. And uh, if you want me to go down, I'll go down. This is all right. No, it's not the, not the way we need to be looking at things. Well, let's go on here. So we spoke, we said to the sea, that's the thing that's being acted upon. But then after he gets done that, he's, he's going to ask them something. He asked them a question. Now remember, they came to Jesus and they had a question for Jesus, didn't they? 
Master, teacher, Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? Does Jesus ever answer that question? He never answers the question. Because this question is not asked out of faith. This question is asked out of fear and doubt. And he has no time for it. He never responds to this question. Now, fear's purpose. This They're in fear. They left the boat in the nice weather, not in fear. Ready to make the journey across the way. If you got in a boat like that, and I was at the helm, you might have reason to be in fear. Even on a clear day. Because I don't know what I'm doing. I may not get us there. We may have a perfectly clear day and I may still get us to the bottom. I don't know what I'm doing. But they got people on board to know what they're doing. They didn't leave in fear. They left with, left with purpose. They had a destination. But you see, fear's purpose is to bring doubt as to God's love by targeting our view of His concern. Master, don't you care? Don't you see what's going on in my life? Don't you see what's going on around me? Don't you care that all this is happening? Shouldn't you do something? And assumptions are being made. But that's what fear wants to do. It's to bring doubt as to God's love by targeting our view of His concern, supply, power, or purpose, His plans. He's going to try and get you to a place where you will question these things. I'm not sure that God has the power that's needed. I'm not sure that God has the concern or the love for me. I'm not sure that God, that His purpose isn't that I don't go to the bottom of the sea. Fear will try to get you to feel helpless and wait for somebody else to come and help you. When it does that, it neutralizes what you could do with what you have. Fear will stop you from using what you have. Faith will cause you to use what God has given you to accomplish what God has told you. But fear wants to paralyze that. Now, I got a translation here. I didn't have the time to type it all out. This is one of those translations that I wanted it. I'd have to type it out or somehow bring it over from my phone. So I'm going to read it to you from my phone. This is Weiss' translation of Luke chapter 8 from verse 22. Now it came to pass on one of those days that both he himself went on board a boat and his disciples, and he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they put out to sea. And as they were sailing, he fell to sleep. And there came down a whirlwind on the lake, breaking forth out of black thunderclouds in furious gusts with floods of rain, throwing everything topsy-turvy, and they were filling and were beginning to be in danger. And having come to him, I like this, this rendition here. Having come to him, they awakened him abruptly, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Ready for this part? And having been thoroughly awakened, he rebuked the wind and the turbulence of the water, and they ceased, and there came a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? But they, having become afraid, marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this? Because even the winds he marshals under his orders and the water, and they recognize his authority, are obeying him. Hmm. I like that part. After being thoroughly awakened... There's no doubt he was not allowed to be asleep anymore. After he arose, he rebuked the wind 
He goes right after the source of the problem. But then he turns to them and he says, this part, why? We first see that they were in a place, good place, good place of the boat. And they were in faith. And then they get to a place where the storm comes up and they're in fear. Now they're at a spot where Jesus is asking them why. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? From that statement, do you get the idea that Jesus expected a different response than what they were doing? Of all the things he has taught them up till now, he had expected that when they encountered a surprise storm, that they would have dealt with it in a different manner than what they did. They may have been thinking the whole time they were there, why did Jesus have us leave now? Why don't we leave tomorrow when the storm went? Why doesn't Jesus know that this storm is here? How come he doesn't know that this storm is coming? Why did Jesus put us into this situation? Why is Jesus asleep while we're battling this and it's getting so bad? All these things come to them and they come to the conclusion that he doesn't care. And they go to wake him. And within minutes, the situation is taken care of. A situation that had started with them watching and them dealing with it got worse and worse and worse to the point that people that are on this water all the time were afraid. Afraid of dying. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? All so many assumptions they made here. Jesus expected them to get out and to deal with the wind. Didn't he? If the proper way to take care of the situation was to deal with the wind and they were dealing with the water, doesn't it seem that Jesus expected them to have dealt with the wind? But you see, you don't deal with water with the faith. You go after the wind with the faith. They messed it up. He expected them to do exactly what he did. They needed to stand back and say, what is causing this water storm to be coming into our boat. They need to come to that place. It's the wind. What should we do about that? Well, Jesus speaks to trees. Jesus speaks to sickness and disease. Jesus speaks to fevers. I guess we should speak to it. I guess we should rebuke it. Tell it to quit. And I cannot read this story without understanding the fact that if they would have stood up as Jesus did and rebuked the wind, that the wind would have listened to them. What a story that would have been, huh? And Jesus could have stayed asleep in the boat. And after he woke up, we got a story to tell you. And Jesus probably would have been thrilled to have heard that story. But instead, he had to get woke up and had to deal with the situation that they were well equipped to do. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? He was expecting some faith to be there. Now they had some faith, but they did not have faith here in this situation. Their faith was in their knowledge and their abilities to take care of the water. And when that failed, there was no faith in anything else. Why are you so fearful? 
put a quote in your bulletin. It's actually one I, I, um, I gave to you some years ago. Worry is more social, is, is just, I'm sorry, worry, worry is just a more socially acceptable form of fear. It's a more socially acceptable form of fear. Here's the second part. Couldn't fit it in there. Worry becomes a distraction from the things we should be thinking on that would benefit us. See, I'm not in all-out fear. I'm just worried about something. But when I worry about it, what kind of things am I supposed to be thinking on? Whatsoever things are true, lovely, pure, good, all that, all that uh, list, that's what we're supposed to be thinking on. When I worry, I'm not thinking about those things. Those are the things that are going to change me. Those are the things that are going to change my situation. When the disciples are facing the waves and the wind, what kind of things are they thinking on? We're going to die. Jesus doesn't care. How come he's not helping? How did this come up on us? Why didn't Jesus know this was coming? Why didn't we go later? And this worry is distracting them from the things they should be thinking on that would help them. What did Jesus teach us? If we're facing this, we have the, what we need to overcome it. What was Jesus teaching us that would help us overcome this? And they could be going back and forth. Well, John, I think, remember when he was teaching us this? I do remember that. And they could be going back and forth on this. So what we ought to do is we just need to rebuke this wind. I think you're right. And they could have stepped out on that. But Jesus turned to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly. I thought they were afraid before. And said to one another, who can this be? That even the wind and the sea obey him. As we said all the time, thinking the wrong things produces questions that God will not even answer. When you continually think on the wrong things, you're going to ask questions. Questions are going to come to you and you'll begin to ask them to God in your prayer time. And God is not even going to mess with them. He's not even going to answer them because they're born of fear, not born of faith. Now, answer questions born of faith apparently has no time for questions born of fear. Don't be messing with it. You see, instead of doing one thing that would take less time and change our situation, we spend more time on many things that don't work. I'm over here doing this, and I'm over here doing this, and I'm over here doing this. Now, if you're up on Facebook, I put that question out there for you. Is it wrong to make preparations? Is it wrong to do things that are preventative? You know, there are people asking these questions. And there's people that are getting themselves all worked up because they're starting to do things they never did before. To combat something they can't see. And so they're just doing whatever it is that they come up to do because they don't see it. A lot of misinformation goes on and then people start just doing whatever it is that they can do and they're, they're in fear. And so we're out there, we're messing with all sorts of stuff. Now, can you, well, put it, put it to you this way. If you're going to go out and ride a bike, what kind of uh, equipment do you put on? How many put on a helmet? Yep. When I was a teenager, we didn't use those stinking helmets. And <laughs> what all you wimps are doing. There's, there's no helmets. You've got a bike. I was on a 10-speed bike going down a hill and wiped out. No helmet? I'm pretty normal. We didn't have that stuff, but now you don't even think of going out 
on a bicycle without a helmet on. When you put that helmet on, are you thinking, I better put this helmet on because I may get in an accident. We're not thinking that, are we? We just put the helmet on. It's part of the attire. And we go out. Go ride the bike. Nothing wrong with that, right? If you get on a boat, how many get on a boat with a life jacket on? Now, some people get on the boat with the life jacket on. I am not one of those people. I will have the life jacket near me. I'll have it around. I am not putting that stinking life jacket on, having to crowd out my whole head, and if I can't do stuff, because if I go in the water, I can swim. I can swim for a good long while. So I do not put the, the, the sucker on. We, we, we don't need that. We overkill some of all this stuff. I remember one time we were out there at the one, one place, uh, I guess it was down in Mexico, one of the times we went, and um, we were doing some snorkeling. And so um, we, were, we were doing it as a family together, but my daughter didn't like the snorkeling as much, so my wife stayed back with her so that uh, she wasn't alone. And my son and I, we went off on our own, and so we're out there snorkeling. But they had you put these life things on while you're out there snorkeling. Because you're supposed to, you know, you're 15, 20 feet of water in some of the spots and there's barracudas out there and there's some, some other stuff and they just, you know, they want you to have this sort of stuff going on. Well, he's a good swimmer. He's a better swimmer than I am, but I'm a good swimmer. I'm a decent swimmer. And so we're out there and all the good stuff is down there. And we're up here. We're way far away from everybody. So we just said, you know, scrap this. And so, um, you know, we just did it one at a time because the other person held on to the stuff. And so uh, I held on to his life jacket and he went down and checked out stuff. And then he came up, held on to my life jacket. I went down and checked out stuff and we had some fun. But you see, we could swim. We're not afraid of the water. We can, we can do that. But we had the stuff around if we need it. But uh, sometimes people think just because you, you bring something, you bring a life jacket along, or you bring something along that you're in fear. No, you're not. You just have it along in case you need it. When you lock your doors, how many people lock your doors at nighttime? Anybody lock your doors at nighttime? How many, when you go up and lock that door at nighttime, are thinking, there might be a robber coming in here tonight? I don't want the robber to come in here tonight. I'm going to make sure this door, this door, we don't think that, do we? We just go out to the door and we lock it. And we go to bed. That's it. You go in your car and you put your seatbelt on. How many are thinking, I better put this seatbelt on because I might get in an accident? Most of us just don't want to hear that ding, 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 ding. <laughs> when, you're, when you're walking around and you hold your child's hand, you just hold my hand when we're walking. These, why you do that? It's a preventative measure. measure. I'm not thinking, well, there's bad people around here right now. They're ready to just swoop down because if I thought that, I probably wouldn't be out here with the kids. But these are preventative measures. When we look before crossing the street, isn't that a preventative measure? What do you think of somebody who crosses the street and doesn't look? It's not good. We do maintenance on our cars. Why? It's a preventative measure. Want to find out if anything, anything's wrong? We'll just have faith in God. No, go get your car checked out. How many of you make sure that you cook your food right? Why don't you just have faith in God? That everything that you eat won't hurt you? Just eat it. Bless it. It'll be okay. But no, we cook it thoroughly. That chicken's not cooked all the way. What do we do? If we're at a restaurant, we send it back. We're at home, we put it back on the stove. We want to cook it. When we, we store it, we want to make sure we store it right too. These are just preventative measures. We just do them. It's okay to do that. Well, I began to think about this and I was thinking about it in the Word of God. Are there people who took preventative measures? And I don't just mean normal ones like putting on a seatbelt. I mean, are there people 
who faced a storm and did special preventative measures to combat it. Now, there's a lot of them, and I'm just going to give you three. In Acts chapter 9, Saul got born again and began to preach to the people in Damascus. And the people in Damascus didn't like uh, Saul, called Paul now. And they wanted to kill him. Do you remember how Paul was extracted from the city of Damascus? In a basket they let down through a window in the wall. That is not Paul's normal way of leaving the city. He usually leaves through the gate. But there's people out there looking to kill him. So do they just say, well, by faith, I'm walking right on through. No, they put him in a basket and they lowered him down on the wall. Remember when the 12 spies were going through the land? I'm sorry, the two spies. The two spies were going through the land and they were spying it out. And they came to the city of Jericho and people were hot on their trail looking for them. So what do they do? Well, we're men of faith. Power. We're just going to walk into that city and no one's going to touch us. Now, what did they do? Father God, which, which direction shall we go? And God led them to a door. They knocked on that door. Will you hide us? We will. And she hid him. Is that a preventative measure? Surely was. When Jesus didn't go right away, when he was called about Lazarus. Was that a preventative measure? Even when he did decide to go, the disciples said, let's go and die with him. Because they fully expected that to happen. But Jesus listened to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit gave him a preventative measure. And so he set out to do that. If you are at home eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and you got sticky stuff on your hands. What would you do? Oh, my hands are all sticky. I guess I can't do anything the rest of the day. <laughs> I got sticky hands. Now, if you said that, what would somebody else in the household say? Would you get up and wash them hands? Just wash them. Go over there and wash the hands and, and you can be taken care of. Were you in fear of the peanut butter when you went over and washed your hands? No, you just went over. You had peanut butter on you. Wash your hands. Yeah. If you get into a place and you can get stuff on your hands that you can't see, you don't have to be in fear. Just go wash them off. It's fine to do. We do that. You know, we've had three grandbabies now. And it's been the pattern, even when we didn't have all this virus stuff going on. It was always the pattern. You probably had it too. That if you're going to go over and hold the newborn, what do you do? Wash your hands. I don't care if I just washed them 20 minutes ago. If I'm going to pick up the newborn baby and hold the newborn baby, I'm going to go wash my hands again. I'm not in fear. I'm just, this is what you do. You want to hold the newborn baby? Go wash your hands. So I go wash my hands. Hold the newborn baby. We were over there last Sunday. And dad was holding holding a little girl. So he uh he he looked at me one time, he said, You want to hold her? Yeah. So I get up, wash my hands, go over, take the little girl, and hold her. No fear involved. That's just something that you do. See, whatever is not of faith is sin. I understand my hands can get dirty. I'm not afraid of the dirt that's on my hands. But I know enough to wash it off. Don't let people put you in fear. You don't have to go around and change the 
the way that you're doing stuff. Taking precautions is not wrong, but it can be. Because if you do it out of fear, instead of just out of faith, Father God, might be some stuff on my hands. I'm going to wash it off. God says, do it. Clean them hands. Jesus thought so much about it, he went around with a whole tub of water. Clean the disciples' feet. It's good to be clean. So if you're going to wash your hands a couple extra times, don't let the devil get you in, in fear. That's fine. If you want to go lay hands on somebody to pray for them, and you first put some anointing oil on, or I guess they call it um, hand sanitizer now. <laughs> That's all right. If that helps that person receive better that you're, you're going to lay hands on, let them see you clean it all up. Lay hands on them. Don't be, don't be afraid of this stuff. Jesus had put in to his disciples for the purpose that when a storm came up, they would take it on in faith. Storms come up. Take them on in faith. Don't take them on in fear. If the devil gets you on the arena of fear, you lose. If you keep him on the arena of faith, you win. This is the boundaries that God gave you. Stay in the area of faith. If you don't have faith for it, don't get in that area. Get into the Word of God. Find out what the Word of God says. Stay in the area of faith. They may try and impose some things on us. And they have some authority to, to impose some things. We don't know what's going to go on here next week. We're, we're facing all sorts of stuff. I'm still of the opinion, have been for a long time, that this, this that we're facing is not nearly as big a deal as it's, as it's being made out to be. I've never seen nations shut things down the way they have shut these things down now. And the number of people that are hurt and are hurting by this, I feel for those folks. The, um, I, heard, I, I, I heard this this part about the disease. You know, there's a contagious factor. They actually give a contagious factor for each of the, the things that are, that are coming up. And I don't have them all memorized. I don't know what they all were, but I'll give you a couple of them. Uh, it's either measles or chicken pox. I think it's chicken pox. has, an, uh, has a uh, um, contagious factor of 18. Anybody remember the, the, the uh, virus that went around SARS? Contagious factor of four. You know what the contagious factor of this one is? Two. It's a lot lower. Well, how come all these folks are dying? In some of these countries, they're taking some of the older people and they're putting them in a place by themselves. The ones that get affected by this the most are the ones that are 60, 70, 80 years old. And they're putting them in a place by themselves and they're not giving them any care. But that stirs up fear. People that are younger and healthier, some of them even go through this and don't even know they had anything. But don't you fret. Don't get all caught up over it. You can add some things into your routine. Washing your hands more. It's fine. You can do that and not be in fear. You don't have to be in fear to do it. Just, you know what? I haven't washed my hands in a while. Go wash my hands. Just smile. Glory to God. Thank you, God, for soap. You just be glad. Don't be in fear. If you can't get to a place where you can wash your hands, don't be in fear about it. You have been learning the Word of God for a long period of time. You have been putting the Word of God into you for such a time as when storms come up. 
the storm the disciples faced got to be a whole lot worse than it ever needed to be. If they would have done what Jesus expected them to do at the beginning, they may not even have this story in the Word. But they didn't do it. And it got out of hand. And it got pretty bad. But as with anything, we're going through all this stuff. Financially, our country is taking a hit. There's a lot of assumptions that are being made and are being put out to you. How many have seen the stock market, stock market drop? Most of the news media is trying to pin this on, on, the, on the disease. Do you know that it is not? That most of this is so outside of the disease that's going around? Has anybody, do you know what this is, why the stock market has dropped the way that it has? I'll tell you what I, what I know about it from economists that I've, I've uh, heard from. The reason that this is going on has so... The disease is going to put a downward pressure on it. There's, there's no doubt about that. It cuts, cuts down in production. It, there's going to be a downward pressure, but not the downward pressure that's been there right now. The reason this is going on is because of oil. There is a war going on right now in the area of, of oil that has to deal with Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia tried to diversify their economy. They tried to diversify it with Hollywood. They tried to diversify it with techs. It was a good idea. They didn't want everything in the, in the one basket of oil because the United States came on as a big, major player. We are actually a bigger player on oil than they are. So they had to try and diversify, but it wasn't going well. And the prince who is out there right now, who runs the country, decided that what he has to do is strengthen his oil hold. And so he's going after the smaller players. The main smaller player, he's with two main smaller players that he's going after are Russia and Iran. What he has done is he opened up the spigots into the oil production of the Saudi Arabians, which has dropped the price down, which is why you're seeing the gas prices drop down so much. Now, that does hurt the United States. Because in order for us to do most of our oil production, it has to be at a certain cost-wise. Fracking is a more expensive way to bring oil out, but it provides a huge abundance of oil and has made us one of the biggest oil-producing countries in the world because of just that technology. But they have flooded the market with it for the purpose of driving the Soviets and the Iranians basically out of business. Once they can accomplish that, then they can raise their prices back up. Venezuela would also be a target for, for that. But they want to get the oil prices to go down. Now, the downward pressure has, a, uh, has an immediate effect on the oil producers, which is where you're going to see that big drop from. Once the gas prices go down, you're going to see production of those who actually consume it. Their costs go down, and you're going to see a rebound just from that. But see, that is the major downward pressure on the markets is the oil price. Now, we're not doing anything about it. We're not going over to the Saudi Arabians and we're not trying to use our influence to, pull, to have them stop this. We can ride out the storm for a while and all the people who want to think that our country is in cahoots with the, with the Soviets, we have done more things to harm the Soviets than, than they would ever... I could, I could tell you the list of things that we've done against the Soviets to hinder them. This is just one of them. It will cost them a great deal of money. And all the money that comes in from the oil in Iran and in the Soviet Union goes to the government. So it's the government that is hurt. And that's where he's doing his battle. So this is the downward pressure, but they won't, they'll get, let you make assumptions that this disease is so bad that it's wrecking the economy and it's, it's doing all this sort of stuff. And though it does have some downward pressure, understand it's not all that much to, by comparison to the oil. The oil is the big thing. And that's why you're seeing the, seeing the price go down so much. But first off, as I told you before, whatever the news media is saying, do not assume it is correct. It is designed to misinform you and to lead you in the wrong direction. Even the stuff that we're doing with this, this disease 
is designed to get people to accept whatever it is that comes down for your safety. But that's all right. You don't be in fear. We just smile and go on. Father God, what is it we're supposed to be doing? What is it that we're supposed to be going after next? Oh, and he'll tell you. He's, uh, don't, ever, don't ever doubt that he cares. Don't ever get to a place like these guys did. Master, don't you care? <coughs> Boy, he does. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you that you do care for us. I thank you that you love us. Your eyes are on us and as much as you care about birds caring more about people. I thank you for your protection that is around us. Whatever sickness and disease might come near. I thank you that we are overcomers. If we stay in the arena of faith, we win. We will resist the arena of fear. We will stay the borders that you have given us for what we don't have faith for it's sin it's wrong but we can increase our faith and I thank you for it thank you that we can speak to the wind that has stirred up all this outcry all this fear in the name of Jesus Fear you have no place here. And the falsehoods that have empowered you in the lives and the homes of the people across this world, those lies will be exposed and the power that you have is gone. Father, I thank you for it. The wind will not stir up these waters and the waters that we are on Are returning to peace. I thank you for it in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.